1: Listening to the Ubisoft Game Makers Podcast. I'm Charles Adam Foster Simart. In this episode, we've got a conversation with Ashley Birch, who is a renowned voice actor featured in games like Horizon Zero Dawn, Life is Strange, The Outer Worlds, The Last of Us Part II, and many, many more. Ashley plays the role of Rachel on the Apple TV Plus television series Mythic Quest, which is produced by Ubisoft and is set in a fictional video game studio. Ashley is also part of the show's Writer's Room, and she is credited as the writer on a special episode called Everlight, which was dropped in April 2021. Ashley, joined me from Los Angeles to talk about her involvement on the show and her passion for games. Well, hello, Ashley Birch. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for joining me.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Now, you've been involved in the industry for quite a while, and I I just wanted to start off by asking you, you know, how did you get started working in video games and and what do video games mean to you uh, as a person?
0: So everything started with the web series that I made with my brother called Hey, Ash, Whatcha Playin', which started as just honestly a mini film school. Um, Anthony wanted to learn how to use a camera because he had other ideas for projects that he wanted to do. And so our sketch series was sort of just a way for him to practice, but it ended up becoming the thing that led to everything else. (laughs) Sort of strangely, he was working at Destructoid as the features editor and he started putting the sketches up on Destructoid and people liked them. And then we went to game trailers and people liked them. And then it became this thing of, we sort of had this niche audience that seemed to really like the sketches. And because the sketches were about the games industry. It was sort of targeted enough that I think devs caught wind of it. So he ended up getting hired at Gearbox to write Borderlands 2. And then uh, I auditioned for Tiny Tina and booked that. And then from there, it just sort of became a kind of a cascading effect, which I'm very, very lucky, um, where I was either writing or voicing in, in games. And I think it, yeah, it really did start with the exposure that we got from that sketch series that we never intended to really make at in, you know, as an end in and of itself. It was um, more like a
1: personal kind of like a personal project just for fun.
0: Yeah. And then it became, which I think often happens, People, you know, if you're just mm-hmm. sort of doing something for fun and it catches on. Yeah, I sort of have everything. I owe everything to that weird little web series that we made.
1: For people who haven't seen uh, Hey Ash, We're Playing, what is the what is like the pitch for it? What's the concept?
0: Oh boy, um, I mean, we basically <laughs> it's weird. It's like it's a sketch comedy series, but with consistent characters, which is sort of strange. I'm realizing in retrospect. So it's sort of like a weird, dark comedy, bizarre sitcom sketch show hybrid, but about video games. Is that a good pitch? <laughs> um, but basically I play, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a, uh, exaggerated version of myself cause Ash is kind of a psychopath, but I play basically a, a psychopath version of myself. You know, my brother is my brother. Our actual dad is not it. Our actual mom is not it, but it's very much just mine and my brother's humor concentrated in three minute bursts. Some of it's good. Some of it's really bad.
1: Tell me more about um, your love of games also, because I feel like it's such a strong through line through all your work is just like this passion for for video games. Have you always played video games since, you know, childhood? And is there a specific kind of game that you've enjoyed um, over the years more than others? What what kind of player are you?
0: Oh, man. Yes, I've always loved games. Um, I remember I I went over and visited my mom at one point and we were watching home movies and there's a home movie of me in a diaper waddling around holding an NES controller that's not connected to anything but I wow. <laughs> but really since I could walk I guess I was I was into games <laughs> your hand
1: your hand reached for the controller immediately
0: yeah exactly <laughs> um so I've always loved games when I was younger I really I really loved um JRPGs so I was a big Final Fantasy nerd and um I also liked I liked I don't know what you would call I've never known how to categorize Harvest Moon, but I loved Harvest Moon, a farming mm-hmm. sim, I suppose. But uh, I loved Harvest Moon was my favorite games. And I kind of played anything that came out on the N64. So we played like Goldeneye and Perfect Dark and Zelda and all that. And then as I grew older, I got more into narrative heavy RPGs. Like Mass Effect is one of my favorite franchises. Mm hmm. I dabbled in roguelikes for a while, which I still love roguelikes. But I think now, as I in my old age, as I grow older, um, I like I really like cooperative PvP games, and also I still really love narrative heavy narrative story driven games. But I play less roguelikes, I think, because my sanity has lessened
1: (laughs) your ability to try over and over and over
0: (laughs) yeah my uh, resilience for uh for punishment has has diminished so um so yeah I really love a good story and I also like an excuse to to hang out with friends so I play cooperative games with friends and and then uh story games by myself
1: So you're 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 obviously a player, and you're. I, I think your career is really interesting because you're kind of like skirting around different aspects of video games. And uh, obviously, you're a voice actor now with Mythic Quest. You're uh, and and some other and some other series. You're also like just a, an actress on those shows, and you're also in the writing room for Mythic Quest, which is about a video game development studio, and it's kind of like I guess workplace comedy set in, mm-hmm. set in that world. So how does like your different how does this, these different aspects of your work kind of feed into each other? Like, do you just see them as totally separate pieces? Like when you're in the writer's room, you're a writer and it doesn't really have anything to do directly with video games. When you're playing your character on Mythic Quest, you're, you're acting, that's what you're doing. When you're voice acting for a video game, you're doing voice acting or, or do they kind of feed each other in terms of, um, what you're doing and and what you're aware of? you know, because it's all related to video games. So I'm just wondering if they're connected for you when you're doing them.
0: Yeah, I they kind of can't help but feed into each other, I think. I mean, you know, when I'm voice acting, I, also, I just have a writer part of my brain that's always on. And so m- I think it's mostly helpful. You know, it helps me to be able to process, synthesize, and perform quickly because I can read a line, understand the intention, and perform it because... I had that sort of script processing ability from being a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, it also sometimes helps me if I, because um, I'm also frequently thinking of, which I think all actors are, but you're thinking of the narrative arc of your character. And I often also think of how my character ties into the larger narrative if they're not the main character. So um, thinking about that in, in terms of being a writer, it sort of helps you think, okay, I'm a piece of this puzzle. So what do I need to do or provide that best serves the story at large? And as a writer, you're always thinking about, you have to be thinking about um, character motivation. Um, and I think being an actor, obviously, when you're performing, you're it's narrowed to the character that you're performing. But I think those sort of concepts um, still help with the writing process, because it gives you sort of a a language and a vocabulary and a a framework to apply that sort of process to every character. You basically have to be the actor for every character as you're writing, you know, you need to be Mm -hmm. able to understand their motivations or see how when a event happens that B action follows from that, you know, you want to make sure that everyone has an internal consistency um, and that they feel real. And I think um, being an actor and having to dissect character and justify actions and motivations helps with the writing process so much because I can really I I hope, I believe when I'm writing a script, I'm I'm thinking of it in in that regard of can I follow knowing who the character is, can I follow this through line? Does it feel consistent with who they are? Am I feeling like all the choices that they're making are motivated and consistent with who they are? And obviously if you're a great actor you can do that without being a writer. If you're a great writer, you can do that without being an actor, but I think being both it helps yeah. inevitably to inform the other process because they're so linked
1: now obviously as a voice actor you've worked with I mean some great writers and some great writing teams because you said your your writing brain was always kind of on still because you have that experience and and that's part of you do you find yourself sometimes um like also kind of wanting to collaborate when you're when you're voice acting like to 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 edit the script a little bit or or add you know add something that maybe is beyond just the role of the voice actor?
0: Sometimes, yes. I try to be really, I try to be very mindful. (laughs) You know, I'm not, I work with really talented people. I'm not trying to come in and be like, I know what I'm doing more than you do because I don't. (laughs) But I think part of hiring an actor, casting an actor, is that you want their perspective. I mean, some folks, part of casting an actor, I believe, should be wanting their perspective on the character. Because if you're just looking for a very, very specific type of person, if you're basically casting for exactly what you picture in your brain, then you're leaving things on the table. Hmm. You know, they say that like 50% of directing is casting because you really want someone to come in and bring their expertise, but also their opinions on the character you want them to have a perspective
1: there's a collaboration there there's a give and take right it's not just yeah
0: it. i believe it should be you know um some mm-hmm. folks they sort of they have what they have in mind and they want you to do that and that's fine but I, I find that the best performances the best outcomes are when the writers are willing to collaborate with the actors and vice versa so mm-hmm. you know on horizon there have been many conversations where I will be maybe confused or I'll have a thought and I'll talk to the writers, you know, where are we thinking Aloy would be at this point in the game? Because this is where I'm coming from and this is what I'm seeing. But I also know that we have to fulfill this, this, and this sort of objective. So how do we balance these things? What's your perspective on that? Or if something bumps me, I might say, you know, I've on Forbidden West, I spoke to, I remember having a conversation with Ben McCaw, um, who's the head writer there now. Um, since John Gonzalez's departure uh, about a monologue um, at one point that ALA has. And it was really interesting talking to him about it because he had one perspective on it and I had another. And because they're so open to my perspective on the character, we were able to do both and that now they get to choose what works best, you know? Right. But I think if you're not bringing in the perspective of your actors and if you don't want to hear from them, then you are, you're potentially missing on some really lovely stuff. It was the same thing on Last of Us part two that, you know, Neil as the director really was open to what the actors were bringing to the characters. And I think in those performances, you can see that there's such a naturalism and such a groundedness. And I think that's because there was that give and take, you know?
1: Yeah. I like what you said about not leaving anything on the table. Like you, can, you yeah. can take it somewhere else or you can get new perspectives or make it richer. Yeah.
0: And, you know, I mean, there's a balance, right? Cause it's not about you ultimately, like you're sure. a piece of the puzzle. So if you're going to spend you know, two hours arguing with the director <laughs> or the writer, that's not really, <laughs> you know, it has to be coming from the right place. And I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I think, and I hope that the folks that I've collaborated with see that. Cause I, you know, in terms of how I've interacted just because I Obviously I want my performance to be effective, but I want it to be effective to serve the game. And especially with a game like Horizon where I'm just talking nonstop, you know, you really, I really wanna feel like I'm doing my best to serve the story. Cause the stories that Guerrilla has written for both games are phenomenal. So it's my job to execute on those stories as best I can. And part of me doing my best work is being able to have those conversations.
1: So shifting gears a little bit to Mythic Quest, where you are both an actress and part of the writer's room, can you first tell me how you, how it got started for you, how that project started for you?
0: I just got a call. It was really, it was really (laughs) uh, surprising. Yeah, it was really surprising. (laughs) My agent at the time called me, I was visiting my mom, uh, and he said, Rob McElhenney wants to talk to you about writing for a new show that he's making. And I was like, I'm sorry. And it
1: was for the writing
0: part first. It was for the writing part first. Yeah. Okay. And I'd never spoken to Rob in my life. I huh? it, w- it was a complete cold call. I think he... he um, Megan Gans, who's the co-creator and the associate producer on our show, Brian Swarberg, I believe that they both independently found me through doing some research of folks that are writers that also know the games industry. Mm-hmm. And they found the web series. And they're like, well, she seems to be in sort of the same, you know, it's, you know, dark, dark, sometimes blue humor <laughs> kind of thing. And so, yeah, I got I got hired almost sight unseen. I had like one meeting with Rob. Um, Yeah, that's just sort of how it started. So I I came into the writer's room and was terrified and slowly, slowly built up my confidence. And then um, at a certain point, Megan said, you know, if you guys have any recommendations or thoughts for casting, let us know. Like, we're curious what your thoughts are. And I sort of steeled myself, and then I texted her after the day was over, and I was like, well, could I audition? Um, and apparently, Rob had already been thinking about me for Rachel, which was a relief. And
1: did you, when you were thinking of auditioning, did you have uh, Rachel in mind as a character, or it was just like a an open kind of thing?
0: I, when I read it, I was, I thought, you know what, I think I can fit, I can fit this part. It just made sense. Like, when I was reading the script, I just felt like I knew, I knew what it needed to be, and I knew how I could do it, and... And I related to her. And so, so yeah, I think I specifically said I'd like to audition for Rachel. And so I did. And true to form, I was terrified. Uh, but then I ended up getting the part, which is great.
1: Can you tell us who, who Rachel is, according to you? Like, uh, what's your handle on, on Rachel?
0: Yes. Yeah, so Rachel um, is a video game tester at Mythic Quest. So she's kind of the bottom of the totem pole in terms of power in the company, but she has delusions of grandeur. Uh, I think we get to see this more in season two, but Rachel really talks a big talk without much to back it up. She really feels entitled to more power and more influence than she's really proven herself to be capable of handling. So I like her because there's a sweetness to her. You know, she's very much uh infatuated with her her coworker dana who's also a game tester and they have like a really sweet earnest connection but she is also sort of a kind of holier than thou uh <laughs> um yeah i guess the best word is she feels a bit entitled to power and influence but i the thing that i really like about her is that she's a little dumb like she's a little bit oblivious she's Not that she's not smart, necessarily, but she's not great at social cues. She's not particularly, like, savvy. She's just ambitious.
1: What I love about her is her, like, the way she brings in, like, all the literature and wants to, like, analyze and talk it over and, like, you know, study the structural aspects of everything. But at the same time, she seems, like, totally oblivious to, like, the most obvious things that are right in front of her.
0: It's really, yeah, it's funny. She's, her heart's very much in the right place but she is totally kind of clueless. Yeah. I think it's fun because a lot of characters on the show have tremendous ambition and a lot of skill. And Rachel has just as much ambition <laughs> and basically no skills. <laughs> 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 Which I think is kind of fun. You know, uh, I, I've, I've always sort of longed for as a, as a writer and as an actor, and it, it's changed so much since I was a kid, but girls and women that weren't perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what I came up with watching, you know, it was often like a group of five boys and then the one girl who was always sort of the killjoy, who was good at everything and cooler than them, and often was like, knock it off, boys, when they were being stupid. And that was just never me. I was the stupid one. So you always want to have like something that reflects you, you know? And what I love about our show is that there are so many women and so many different types of women. So Poppy, for example, is extremely capable, extremely smart, but she's also a total asshole, you know? Or like Joe is like ambitious and driven and psychotic, uh, you know, and Rachel is sweet and also kind of a dumbass. Like there's all these sorts of different things, different shades of humanity that we're getting to show in all these different characters. Um, the women specifically that I just didn't have when I was, you know, younger or a teenager. I think that's why I, I remember Sailor Moon was one of my favorite shows. and I think I loved it so much because Sailor Moon was such a crybaby. She'd cry <laughs> at the drop of a hat but she was also powerful and cool and she loved her friends you know and mm-hmm. so it's really um it's really fun to get to be in a cast full of super talented women playing a whole range of characters
1: Can you tell us a little bit about the the writers' room? How do, how does it work? And I'm just kind of curious to see like how how you fit in with the other writers, and if you have a, a specific thing that you're often called on to do, or if there's a specific character that you particularly like to break story for.
0: Yeah. So the writers' room when I when I started, I very much was leaning on my video game knowledge because I I had never I'd been in several writers' rooms, but I'd never been in an on camera writers' room, and. You know, I came from animation where the max amount of people we would have in a room at a time was maybe four or five. And an on camera writer's room, you have 10 people. And a lot of those people were people that I knew and admired from the work that they had done. And so I was definitely intimidated. But I also just love story and I love being in writer's rooms so much. So I sort of used, you know, not as a crutch, but I, I I leaned on games at the beginning because I knew that was something that I knew. But very quickly, I just became another writer that was worried about story, narrative art characters. And I sort of, I mean, it sounds like it's kind of a cop out, but I really love writing for all of the characters. I really love, you know, at the beginning of a season of the of the room, what we'll usually do is what's called blue skying, which is kind of like you think about the se- the season as a whole, what you want to say, kind of where you you want your characters to go.
1: Like the bigger picture stuff?
0: Yeah. You kind of talk big picture and then you get more granular as time goes on. And I sort of love blue skying because there's just so many... Some people hate it because there's so many possibilities, but I sort of love it because it's really fun seeing ideas coalesce and finding narrative arcs start to take shape. And it often happens kind of organically when you crack... One part of the story, it sort of starts to flow out. That happened a lot in season two. There were certain pairings that we changed up in this season. One in particular that I think people are going to really like. And when we discovered that pairing, it really opened up a lot of the show. Mm. And it's just so... I mean, being in a writer's room, it's like... It always feels like solving a puzzle with some of the smartest and funniest people you know. It really feels like, okay, there's a story in the air somewhere... And we're all just putting our heads together and trying to pick out the right pieces to put together to fit the best puzzle that we can make. And it's really gratifying to be stuck and someone in the room finds that one little thing that opens up the whole story. I mean, there are several episodes in the season that we were rewriting over and over and over again. And you're sort of feel like you're bashing your head against the wall. And then finally, when you kind of break through and you see like, oh, if we just... If we move this idea here and open it like this, that just makes everything work so much better. So it really is extremely collaborative. You know, there's no like, oh, this person's the Brad person, this person's the David person. If, you know, we have a lot of the actors in the writer's room. And so by that nature, you're sort of, you know, I'm in in the best position to advocate for Rachel. David's in the best position to advocate for David. But whenever I'm in the room, I really am thinking about every character equally and their arcs and how those arcs coalesce. And, you know, we, we often use things that are happening in the games industry as inspiration as, or as a jumping off point. We always want it to feel authentic to the games industry, Mm -hmm. but also it's important for it to feel like any other office as well. So we really do try to come at it from a place of character um, because ultimately that's, what's going to be the most interesting. If If we're just focusing on the success of the game or the failure of the game, that gets tiresome pretty quickly if you don't care about the characters.
1: You're credited as the sole writer on a special episode featured between the two seasons, which is called Everlight, Um, The episode features an in-game holiday for Mythic Quest and some live-action role-playing or some LARPing. How did the concept for that episode come about?
0: Honestly, the idea of an in-game holiday and separately the idea of LARP, I think they both came up season one. Um, And then we sort of resurrected those ideas as we were breaking story in season two. And I can't even remember... You know, I think I'd been thinking about an in-game holiday, but I think actually the person that brought it up was um, one of our writers, Humphrey Carr. And we actually had it as we were breaking the season. We had it as episode eight, I think, seven or eight originally. And then the pandemic hit and we were actually in our first week of filming. So we shot an episode and then everything shut down. Um, And in the intervening time between the shutdown and coming back for season two, Rob and Megan and David, our EPs, were going back through the season and looking at everything again. And Rob had the idea of moving Everlight up. So I had written a whole draft that had like a completely different storyline. It was about, it was just sort of a fun episode that kind of broke the tension of the season thus far and was kind of meant to just be sort of silly and fun. But we knew, you know, the sort of structure of it, which is like it's an in-game holiday with LARP and eventually it turns into a real fantasy. Those things were preserved, but basically everything else was changed. And so Rob, Megan, David, and I all talked about that rebreak of Everlight um, over Zoom as the pandemic was still going on. And it went through quite a few iterations. Basically, the ending in the beginning changed a lot because really the book ending of the episode... Um, it starts with this animation that sort of sets up the premise and then ends in this fight were really the thematic ties of the episode. And so we, we had a lot of juggling to try to figure out how to best make that theme hit home. It was interesting too, because you also had to set up a lot of expositional sort of structural stuff. Like what is Everlight? What is LARP? How does LARP work? Um, Yeah, there's,
1: like, lore that you need to kind of, like, explain.
0: So we had lore to set up, and then just the mechanics of what the fuck LARP is for people that don't know what LARP is, and then setting up the rigging of the fights, and then setting up the themes and reintroducing the characters. It was, like, a lot of heavy lifting. But ultimately, I'm really proud with how it turned out, because I think think it gives the feeling that we were hoping it was going to give, which is sort of, you know, we had the quarantine episode, which I think really really effectively captured the feeling of, especially the early days of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And now as we're, you know, at least the states, we're luckily moving out of that severe lockdown because lots of people are getting vaccinated, sort of trying to picture a world after the pandemic where we find some semblance of normalcy and hope. And I think those two episodes sort of partnered together work pretty effectively and- Yeah, I feel really happy with how they turned out.
1: So uh, as someone who's kind of aware, well, you work in the video games industry as well. You're not just aware of the video games industry. (laughs) Uh, Are there specific kind of themes or topics that you're interested in exploring um, when you're in the writer's room for Mythic Quest?
0: Yeah, I mean, we usually talk about anything that's relevant to the time um, that we're starting to write that something that seems yeah. like not obviously like, a, an isolated incident because we write well in advance of the show coming out. So they have to be sort of larger issues, um, things that are in, in the air. Yeah. And sort of, um, persistent, like something like crunch or the way that women are treated in the workplace. Yeah. But there's definitely, I mean, there's a, there is definitely a drive within the writing staff to make the show feel authentic. And so I think we'd be remiss to not talk about some of these topics that are so at the forefront of people's minds when they think of the games industry. And for me, I also I also want to try to balance, you know, because it's one of those things where we really want it to feel authentic to games, but we also want it to feel satisfying for, for people that don't know anything about games. Right. So I think it's really good to always come back to games as our contextual backdrop and as and as a way to get into stories or inform character but um i think also it's really important to like i said earlier to think about the characters themselves and what they want and where they're going and if we're doing our job right then ultimately focusing on the characters ends up speaking to games and every other creative process or or office workplace because those struggles are pretty prevalent no matter what industry you work in. You know, in particular, Mm -hmm. Poppy, I think, has an interesting arc this season now that she's co-creative director, someone that's wanted power for so long and now has it. What does that look like? What does it look like to be a leader after being sort of subjected to the abuse of this guy (laughs) for so long? Um, Who is she in that position? How does she deal with the fact that she and Ian are now equals after that sort of imbalance in power for so long? I think those are more universal concepts that still do apply to people in the games industry. I mean, sure, I can think of so many folks that, you know, they were the best on their team and then they got promoted to a management position, but they don't necessarily know how to manage people. <sighs> they were just the best at the thing that they were doing, <laughs> you know, which yeah. I think is kind of a similar position that Poppy's in. She's a brilliant coder. But is she a brilliant leader? Who knows? Uh, Because those are not the same skill sets. So yeah, we always try to, uh, of course, remain true to games, but then not get so referential or so kind of bogged down in what's happening in games that we lose sight of the fact that this is a show about these people. Mm -hmm. And what are the most interesting stories to tell about these people?
1: Do you think the show has a role, maybe not a role to play, maybe that's a bit too strong, but um, that it could play a role, let's say. To bring a more mainstream audience to the world of video games, and to to have a more mainstream o- audience like acknowledge that world and know a little bit more about that world,
0: I definitely think so. I mean, even just anecdotally speaking to folks that are a little bit older that have watched the show, they suddenly get an understanding of games that they didn't have before. Which I think right. is just that it's a normal workplace. I think they, <laughs> I think there's sort of an <laughs> assumption that like everyone, <laughs> yeah, it's either magic or everyone's still in a basement somewhere. Right. Or everything's Mario. You know what I mean? There's just like such a weird veil that I think this show sort of helps pull back, which is like, yes, you know, this guy wears 70 bracelets and uh, <laughs> is kind of, you know, speaks in sort of florid douchey prose. But also they're still in an office and there are still desks and computers and meetings and egos and, you know, creative arguments. Um So yeah, I I think, you know, even just based on feedback of folks older than me that don't know anything about games, uh, giving Mm -hmm. me feedback about the show, they, they really respond to it and it kind of makes them see games differently, just more as like any other office, really.
1: Ever written for video games?
0: Uh, um, kind of, sort of. I mean, I I've consulted, but I haven't okay. like sat down and wrote a script for a video game before. Right?
1: Would that is that something you'd be interested in?
0: Totally. I mean, gosh, I have such respect for games writers because it's. I mean, it's especially God, like especially an open world game. All of these contingencies of like, well, if. I mean, just even recording Horizon, it's like, well, if Aloy did this mission, but she didn't do this mission, or if she just happened upon this mission without finding the person that tells you about the mission, or if she has this item, but she didn't get it before she did this mission, you know, like, it's craziness. And then also having to track everyone's arcs in a context like that. I mean, it's hard enough as an actor to be like, okay, well, this person may have done the entire game and then come back to the Nora Homelands And decided to help, I forget her name, find her rabbits. Like, one of the very first quests that you get.
1: Yeah, like, do one of the very first quests, but do it, like, 60 60 hours into the game kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and so it all needs to feel consistent. But imagine writing that, you know? Oh, my God. But it would be a fun challenge if I didn't go insane. It would be a fun challenge.
1: What game are you playing at the moment?
0: Right now, I'm most, well, I was playing a lot of Valheim. Oh,
1: okay. Interesting. Um,
0: which I was really enjoying. Now I'm playing mostly um, the ARAM mode of League of Legends with friends because it's an easy way to get to talk to pals and play games at the same time. Right, and a way to hang out. A, a good way to hang out, yeah. I'm getting better at it, I think. Still pretty bad, but uh, yeah, that's mostly what I'm playing right now.
1: Well, thank you so much for taking the time and for for chatting with me.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Episodes one through four of season two of Mythic Quest are available to stream now on Apple TV+, with new episodes releasing every Friday until June 25th. You can also catch up on season one now with all nine episodes, plus the special bonus episodes, including Everlight, available to stream on Apple TV+. I'm Charles Adam Foster-Simard from Ubisoft. This episode was edited by Manu Bachelet, The music in this episode was taken from the Mythic Quest Season 1 and 2 Apple TV Plus original series soundtrack by Takeshi Furukawa. Remember to subscribe to the Ubisoft Game Makers podcast and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.